Welcome to another episode of College Counterpoints for January 25th, 2024. It's the podcast where we dive into the challenging world of higher education, exploring the critical stories, issues, and debates that shape, I think, the future of learning in the United States. And I'm Joseph Pellerito Jr., and joining me is the eternally inquisitive and very handsome Mr. Gary Stocker. Today, we'll make the points and counterpoints from a labyrinth of ideas, discussing the latest news, controversies, and insights in higher education in the United States. And each episode, we'll take on a set of topics. We'll examine it from our different perspectives, and trust me, they are different. Whether it's the role of technology in the classroom, the value of that liberal arts education, or the ongoing trend of college finances and closures, we'll provide you with a comprehensive and, we think, balanced view. Absolutely, Gary. We believe that the best way to understand the complexities of higher education is by engaging in thoughtful and, we hope, entertaining dialogue. That's why we've designed this podcast to feature point and counterpoint arguments, giving you a 360-degree view of each issue. Sometimes Gary might be right, might be, but most of the time it will be me on the correct side of the argument, of course. So get ready for an in-depth conversation, expert interviews, and lively debates as we navigate the ever-evolving landscape of higher education. Whether you're a student, an educator, a parent, a college teacher, leader, or just someone curious about the future of learning, College Counterpoints is a podcast that will give you an A for being informed, and we hope entertained. So let's get into it, shall we, Gary? Today we're exploring the exciting and really transformative role of artificial intelligence, or AI, in higher education. And so, Gary, let's kick things off with a personal take. Let me ask you, how much did you engage with AI this past week? Let's say ChatGPT or Barter, any of those new platforms that we're, we're engaging with now. Well, thanks for asking me an easy question to start off with. Joseph, I used ChatGPT quite a bit last week, the week before that, this week, and next week. Well, I thought so, Gary, because, you know, that's fantastic. AI is proving to be definitely a revolutionary force. I, for one, am just thrilled about it. I think it's an amazing tool. And with its ability to personalize learning, streamline administrative tasks, and open up really new frontiers for research, data analysis, and the list goes on and on. I am a huge proponent and couldn't be anything but optimistic. So today, let's delve into these groundbreaking developments and discuss how AI is not just a futuristic concept, but a present reality. What do you think, Gary? Well, Joseph, I like to paint the big picture, but in this case, you're painting such a big picture on artificial intelligence, you're missing the nuance. And the nuance you're missing, Joseph, is the capacity for college students and others, and high school students, others as well, to think on their own two feet. You and I went through that experience. We learned to think on our own two feet. And I really believe that using artificial intelligence in an academic setting is going to damage the capacity of individuals and ultimately our, our country with the capacity to think outside the proverbial box. Well, listen, here's the thing. It's a revolution, Gary. And just like, you know, the Industrial Revolution, when buggy whips went uh, 
went bye-bye and when radio came in and then we had you know uh the computer revolution and the internet what did people do when cameras went from traditional film development to digital there were those of you that pushed back and said no we need to keep it the same way because it's not pure and then there's people like me that are early adopters that say wait a minute maybe this is a better way of doing things so listen if i have to dig a hole gary i'd rather use a shovel and be told that i'm cheating with a shovel than use my bare hands so yeah i think ai is is already revolutionizing many sectors including higher ed and you know the thing i will admit though is you know most of us aren't really sure how to use it effectively yet but i think our students and faculty alike are going to come up with the answer to that and we're going to have fun getting there well, Dr. Pellerito, I, I think I heard you very indirectly calling me antiquated. Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe not. You, know, you, use you use examples, Joseph, of buggy whips and radios. And, and yes, that argument has been used forever and ever. Nothing wrong with the argument, except that those items were replacements. You know, we went from buggy whips to cars and to what we drive now and fly now and all those kind of things. And AI in the, in the chat GPT format, which I assume most folks are using, it's a supplement. And I don't know if it's a supplement that we need for the same reason I shared before, and I'll share over and over again. And that is what we gain in AI, we lose in the capacity to think outside the proverbial box. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Whenever anybody uses that phrase, think out of the box, I think to myself, they're not thinking out of the box. It's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's an interesting uh, and overused phrase. But listen, here's the thing. AI is going to help students learn. It's going to revolutionize how we teach. It's going to help replace frankly, human beings having to do certain mundane tasks, just like robotics on the assembly line and so forth, it's going to improve quality of life. But here's the thing. Here's how we can ensure that students are actually thinking for themselves, Gary. There's a simple solution. It's called return demonstration. If a student of mine writes a paper, and I suspect they're using AI, I'm going to commend them for it, first of all. Secondly, though, I'm going to ask them, now tell me what you wrote. What does it mean? I want to know ultimately they can apply what they've learned. So to get to that knowledge, that application, that's what we're talking about. AI is a vehicle to get there. It's a, it's a really great shovel, and we're going to be able to dig holes a lot more effectively. Yeah, but you know, Joseph, when you, when you, when you dig holes with that shovel that you keep talking about over and over again, it's <laughs> we'll get a different analogy someday. Don't you know? Don't worry about that. But let's see. You, know, you 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 touch on the academic piece a little bit, but you're still painting big pictures on efficiencies and utility and that kind of stuff. Let's talk about the biggest concern that I and I know many 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 other faculty have uh, throughout the country, and that is using artificial intelligence, Chat GPT, without citing it as a source and claiming it as your yeah. own work. And that's now, I know there's yeah. work there's work on that, I know, but yeah. I, I I I don't have you time. Know, you know, I agree. Stuff. 
I agree, Gary. There's a couple of concerns with that. Um, when when people create something that's original, we have to honor that for sure. We need to recognize who that author, original author is. And I can tell you that the, the AI platforms are improving. Um, Bard, for example, is now citing um, their sources. ChatGPT, it's something that they're working on and that you can request AI to cite their sources. But there's also a problem in that because they're going to sources that are out there on the web and they're not the real guarded sources behind the paywalls, such as research articles and so forth. So um, there are problems for sure, and I give you that. But I think we are evolving. And I think, again, faculty, students, and other users of AI are going to sort of develop policies and procedures over time that will ensure we have equity and fairness. And I'm and I'm optimistic about that. In the meantime, hey, I'm having fun using it. It's stimulating. It's exciting. And um, hey, you know, if you ask me to uh, to give you a representation of something I'm looking at and I draw it, you're going to get a house with a little curly Q smoke because I don't draw too well. But if my if I grab a camera and take a picture of it, I'm going to give you a much better representation of it. Using a camera, does that mean I cheated? No, it meant that I'm being more efficient and now I'm giving you a much more um, effective product. And it's no different with AI. AI is helping us get to that end point, that applied point where we really want to apply knowledge. And I'm, I'm just, I can't, I can't tell you how excited I am. Well, I'm going to move on to the next topic, but let's do this in the future. You use AI all you want, Joseph. I'm going to use my brain to come up with ways to, re- to respond to the to the characterizations you have in the coming podcast. So we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> and the last topic, second topic we, we want to talk about today is it's kind of harsh. And, and the term we're going to use is bait and switch. And really, it's, it's along the lines of colleges when they're promoting their majors. I don't believe... They're being upfront with all the details. They're doing just enough to share with their students and their families to get them to commit to going to a college. But they're vague. I think in many cases, they're not evilly misleading, but not sharing all the information they need to. And I know you don't agree. Well, first of all, I'm not going to say that higher ed isn't without fault. You know, the uh, the student debt crisis is in fact a crisis, but to vilify higher ed in any way is just simply not fair. Higher education provides a wonderful pathway for thousands, tens of thousands of students within this country and around the world to gain a better life for themselves and their families, to go out and make a difference in the world in terms of contributing to society and the people perhaps that they're privileged to serve. And, uh, you know, I believe that colleges, uh, at least in my experience, are working diligently to really refine their messaging so that students can make more informed decisions about their pathways that hopefully will lead to a career and not a, necessarily a job at Starbucks. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But when students pay the kind of money that they pay, they deserve to end up with a career that is, um, you know, uh, that can support a good life for them. 
No, 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 a thousand times no. And here's why. Here's why. It's a, it's a, it's a numbers thing. And you know the work that I do on college finances and their viability. Yeah. And, and you know that I, from all the podcasts and all the media that I produce, that I have monstrous, as do many others, concern about, about the viability of hundreds, <clears throat> hundreds of colleges, of colleges in the future. It's, this is not an issue of marketing. This is an issue of finances. Colleges are saying what they need yeah. to because they want each and every student they can to pay the tuition so they don't have to look at financial cutbacks and layoffs and ultimately college closures. That's why, again, I don't I don't envision this as intentionally and unethically misleading. They're just stretching the truth because they need that tuition revenue. Well, first of all, um, I understand alternative pathways. I want to just mention very quickly, you know, the trades. I have nothing but respect for trades folks. I understand that some, you know, young people and others take more of an entrepreneurial path that that might not include a pathway into higher ed. But let me tell you, higher education brings huge value for students. And uh, first of all, the maturation that occurs over that three or four or five years that students are on campus um, is something that's highly valuable. I believe in a strong liberal arts education. And I believe that the relationships that are formed are invaluable. Now, as far as, you know, this notion that, you know, there should be somehow consolidation and there are too many, you know, schools and the rest of it, that Amazonification (laughs) of higher ed, I couldn't be more opposed to it. I believe in diversity. I believe in more is better. Give the consumer that is prospective students and their families and their parents and others who have a stake in their their well-being, uh, more choices. Now, as far as the data goes, yeah, I say look to the data. We need to do a better job publishing the data. And, and, I, and I mean this with sincerity, Gary. I hate to admit it, but I love the work that you do with college viability, and it's needed. It is. It's really, it's needed. And I, and I concede that point. But again, to vilify colleges in universities to think that somehow there's uh, students are being misled. I, I don't think that's fair. I think there are people who are all in on creating pathways toward uh, meaningful careers for for you know young Amer- Americans of all ages. And so I, I fall on that side of it. I'm I'm going to stand by that all day long. You know, if I could, and without worrying about injuring your leg, I'd ask you to hold your shoes up. So I I can see if there's any taps on the bottom of the You're tapping, you're tap dancing around the financial issue. Yes, you make points that there's a lot more to it, but the market's changing. We're in the middle of the higher education market consolidating. There's nothing I can do to change that. There's nothing you can do to change that. There's no programmatic changes any college can make to change the fact that there are the basic economics of higher education, too many college seats and not enough students willing to pay the tuition for those college seats. But let's take it one step further. And we talked about, you talked about the College Viability app, and I appreciate your kind words on that. I'm working on another product that takes iPads data and counts the number of completions and majors for each and every public and private college in the country. Now, here's why I bring that up. Number one, I want to sell the product somewhere down the road. But number two is... 
if you are looking for yourself or a child or a grandchild or whatever the case may be to go to college and they want to be a journalism major and college one shows five journalism majors graduating each of the last three years and college two shows 50 don't you think the college with 50 students has more faculty, more support, more intellect. And it goes back to the analogy of brain surgery. You know, you've heard this kind of one, this analogy before, but if you and I need a brain surgeon, we probably want one that's done three a week, not three a year. And I think that's right. the point that you're using on, on program completions and what these colleges are trying to sell. I think we have to be careful not to take too much of a positivistic approach to assessing and assigning value to a particular institution based on numbers alone. Those small numbers may or may not indicate or have a correlation with resource availability. For example, the big, what I call designer public schools, you know, uh, my son went to Michigan State University. It's an amazing place, but there's 40, 50,000 students. Sure, their numbers are through the roof. The smaller privates are going to be nowhere near that. But let me tell you something. The smaller privates, you're never going to have your, your, your adult child sitting in a classroom with 200 students like you are at the bigger publics. Uh, you're going to have much more one-on-one, -on -one, uh, you know, individual attention. And that's the qualitative side that we've got to remember to look at. So, no, I, I really think it depends on a lot of factors and numbers do not tell the whole story by, by a long shot. Let's take this one other place. And, and it's, it's still, it's, it's kind of tied to the, to the bait and switch topic. And that is projected revenue and, and state agencies, federal agencies are, are trying to work toward a place where they can say, Hey, this major needs to be earning, or this major earns $40,000 in year one out of college. First of all, the numbers are pure bunk because it's, they're based on a limited set of data it's not universal. It is typically based on lower-end colleges and higher-end colleges. There's some data behind that that I'm not going to go over today. But I, I would also make the case that even though those numbers are flawed and really have next to no value, might be a little bit of value, it's not the one-year numbers that matter. It's the 10-year. What's that, what's that income going to be in 10 years or 20 years? And even if you and I, right this minute, decided to start doing those projections, it's not going to be much more than throwing a dart at an income dartboard to see what the, each individual's income will be 10 or 20 years after college. I don't know that even that has viability. No, and I think you're getting into another great point. You know, in the old days, we'd look at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, right? And that was our go-to and to try to sort of track trajectories for different uh, professions and incomes and what's the mean and, and what's the expected growth and so forth. We have something else happening now, which is we have shifting industries, shifting expectations from consumers, shifting needs of society, shifting technologies. The biggest issue for higher ed today is we've, we've got to be able to keep up with those changes and be on the progressive cutting edge of understanding how to harness those changes for the benefit of ultimately society, but really to upgrade programs so that we are really preparing tomorrow's sort of learners. And sometimes higher ed is behind the ball, really, frankly. They're not necessarily leading. In the old days, it was the research that sort of drove innovation. But today, it's more uh, in, the, in the natural world. 
that these that these changes are occurring. We're using AI every day now, and um, who's driving that bus? I'm not sure. I think we need to take a greater role and a greater look and get more involved to uh, to affect that change and harness those those benefits. So there it is, the January 25th podcast of College Counterpoints. Joseph, you'll be pleased to know that I'm keeping track of the score here, and I think I made eight good points. I have you down for three good points. So that we'll go with that as our scorecard for today. Uh, well, boy, I want to thank you for your generosity of giving me three. I, I wouldn't have expected that, Gary, so thank you. Uh, so, so next week, we will talk about free college for all, which – not unlike accessible and affordable health care, I believe should be a right and not a privilege for all Americans. I know, Gary, you're going to agree with me on that one, aren't you? And accreditation agencies, which Gary calls I-dotters and T-crossers, but, you know, I believe, of course, hold the line in maintaining excellence in higher education standards in the U.S. I think they're a critical component to making the U.S. education system, the best in the world. So we'll talk about that, and it'll be fun to uh, to hear Gary make the points that he tries, will try to make, and he'll be completely wrong about. We will also review weekly college stories. So for Gary Stocker, I'm Joseph Pellerito, Jr., and we'll be back next Thursday with another stimulating episode of College Counterpoint Podcast. Stay smart, everybody. <laughs>